Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, we are going to be continuing our Bless This House series. I've really loved this series, but I've got to tell you, I've also found it a bit challenging. And there have been times where I've gone, oh, I need to make some shift in my life to actually live this blessed life that God is calling us to. You see, the word blessed, we've been saying, means it's to be well off, to be fortunate or to be envied. And do you know that it's actually always been God's plan to bless us? When you look at the Old Testament, The Old Testament goes through the story of the nation of Israel. And the purpose of it was, was that God would bless the nation of Israel so that the nation would be a shining light to all other nations. And so that all the other nations would look to Israel and say, hey, I want what you've got. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see exactly the same thing. Except the purpose has shifted. You see, all of a sudden, it's about us as individuals having a vibrant relationship with God. And through that vibrant relationship, others around us can look at us and say, oh, I want what they've got. And that's what it means to be envied. But to be honest with you, there's even though we live in these blessings, often it is more determined by me than it's determined by God. Have you noticed that? I am absolutely 100% blessed just because I'm in Australia. And yet often I can lose sight of that. I can lose sight of the blessing. And how I live actually depends more on me than it does the blessing that I've been given. You see, often we miss the point of the blessing because we miss it. And we miss what God is actually doing around us. In Matthew 5, we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's commonly known as the Beatitudes, or some people would say it's the blessed sayings. Now look, you're going to have to forgive me for this one. I grew up in church, and particularly through the 70s and 80s, in a, in a smaller country setting. And I don't know why. But this passage was always blessed. Anyone else with me? Did anyone else grow up in church where this was blessed? I don't know why it was blessed. It's just blessed. And yet every time I read this portion of scriptures, my head always goes, blessed are those. Right? And so look, I apologise in advance. I am going to say blessed somewhere in this service. I promise you. You have my permission to point it out. Because it's just, I don't know, it's just something that's ingrained in my head. You know, the Beatitudes are all about the insight. Oh, sorry, give us an insight about the nature and the character of what it is to be a Christian. We're talking about the be attitudes, the attitudes that we should carry as we go through life. 
You know what? This is actually the first ever recorded teaching of Jesus. So what you're getting this morning is a preach on a preach. It's the first sermon that Jesus ever delivered. It's considered amongst the finest moral teachings the world has ever seen, both secularly and within the church. And it shows the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, which also goes back to a series that we did more recently, which was literally called Upside Down. It's available on our podcast. You'll be able to download that at any point you like, which talks about how the kingdom of God differs or is upside down or, if you like, right side up compared to what we experience in this world. You know what? So far, we've had a look at blessed are the hungry and thirsty, and that addressed our attitude towards God. We talked about blessed are the pure in heart, which was our attitude towards truth. Last week, blessed are the peacemakers, which is our attitude towards conflict. And today, we're going to jump straight in to Matthew 5 and verse 10. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, blessed are the, there it is, there it is. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So today we're talking blessed, blessed, (laughs) blessed are the persecuted, which addresses our attitude towards suffering. Can I say right off the front, this verse conflicts me. You know, when we were talking about blessed are the pure in heart, Pastor Tony said, you know what? There's truth we like and there's truth we don't like. Can I tell you, this is a truth I don't like. You know, blessed are the persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. I want to be blessed, but I don't want to be persecuted. It creates this conflict within me. I want the result. I want the kingdom of heaven. I don't want the process of how I get there. And let's face it, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the selfish part of me or the self-preservation part of me. But when I read that verse and it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm happy with that. (laughs) When it's those and theirs, that's better for me. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. In the very next two verses, he goes on and he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Jesus brings it straight back to me. It's not theirs and those, it's me. And so Jesus is actually speaking very plainly to us. He's saying, you know what? You're going to experience some tough times. You're going to experience some hardship. But in that hardship, you will be blessed because there are rewards in 
heaven. Now, don't come up to me after this sermon saying, hey, what are those rewards in heaven that you're speaking about? I got no idea. What I know is that heaven is going to be amazing. From what we read in scripture, there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. Streets paved of gold. I'm like, whoa, give me some of that. But then there's rewards on top of that. I don't know what that looks like, but heaven's going to be amazing in and of its own right, let alone the rewards that come on top. And so Jesus is speaking really plainly to us and saying, you know what? You're going to have some hardships, but that's okay because on the end, there's going to be some rewards. And either you can choose to take the hardships here for reward in heaven or try and be, try to not have the hardships here without some rewards. And I know which one I personally will choose every time. You know what? Let's be clear. Not all suffering is persecution. But all persecution leads to suffering. Not all suffering is persecution. You know why? Because sometimes, in fact, I would say most of the time, Much of my suffering is caused by me. My own dumb decisions, my own dumb actions that can lead to some suffering. But let's face it, that's not the only space that suffering comes into our life. You know, suffering can come as a consequence of others' actions. You can be sitting at the traffic lights, minding your own business, and someone else hit you causing some suffering. You know what? There's suffering that comes into my life just because we live in a fallen world. Romans 8 says that all of creation groans under the weight of sin. The sin that's in this world has corrupted creation. And part of that corruption is the sickness and the disease that we experience that brings suffering into our life. You know, you can't go too far at the moment without hearing all about the influenza outbreak that's happening in South Australia. It's a corruption of creation that's caused that suffering. And let's be very clear, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Imagine if he was. Imagine if he said, you know what? You're going to make some dumb decisions and the kingdom of heaven will come. I'll be in for that. But Jesus is saying, no, we're talking about persecution that brings suffering. And we're talking about when others deliberately stand against you because of your beliefs or because of your stand in Jesus' name. That's what brings the kingdom of heaven. You know, in some parts of the world right now, There are people who are being tortured, people who are being killed for their faith, persecuted to the very end. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm not there and at the same time feel for the people that have to experience that. You know, Western Christianity, it's it's a bit of an anomaly, to be honest with you. This relative lack of persecution that we experience in the Western world 
doesn't, if you look back through history, it hasn't occurred anywhere else. If you look in the world today, it hasn't occurred anywhere else. We're living in this, if you like, little bubble at the moment, where in Western Christianity, we are not experiencing that level of persecution. You see, we may not have to deal with direct persecution like many others do, but we still experience opposition when we take a godly stand because of our beliefs. For our younger people, that peer pressure that we experience at school, when we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to maintain our purity, we're trying to not give in to drugs, we're trying to stay away from what this world is calling us into. There's a level of opposition that we experience. And that's the persecution that we're talking about today. You know what? In Western society, we actually see this persecution happening even in the legal system level. More recently, when we were talking about redefining marriage, there was a level of persecution that came for people that wanted to stand up for the traditional view of marriage because of what we believe from the Bible. You know what? Right now, in South Australian Parliament, there are two pieces of legislation being looked at. One is late-term abortion. Abortion at any stage during pregnancy. The other is the decriminalisation of prostitution. Now again, can I please say, there's no condemnation for people who are in those spaces. But if we want to have a godly nation, we need to stand for godly principles and godly practices within our legislation. And when we do that, when we do that, we have to expect a level of opposition. There is going to be a persecution that comes. You know what? I experienced a little bit, and it's just minor, just last week from a space I wasn't even expecting. I had a tradie come around to my house, quoted us on some work, and he said, hey, look, I can give you two different prices. I can give you the price for cash or I can give you the price if we include the GST. And to be honest with you, when I said, you know what, give me an invoice, please. Include the GST. And he looked at me and went, say what? I said, no, no, seriously, it's fine. Because again, it's a conviction of mine. And when I stand on the godly principle and other people don't understand it, there's always going to be a level that comes back. And so, as we've been talking about through this series, we want to build Christ-centered homes. Why? Because when persecution comes against one member of the family, persecution is experienced by all members of the family. And so how we deal with persecution becomes a really critical issue. Even slightly beyond that, because persecution is a form of suffering, how we actually handle suffering in general becomes a critical issue within our homes. So how do we go about dealing with persecution and suffering?
Well, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you should expect it. Really? We're going to start there? Yes, we are. In John 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. Yay! When you hear a statement like that, I don't know what goes off inside of you. For some people, you might be going, oh, geez, really? It's going to get harder? I don't know if it can get harder. I don't want to do, I want to get out of here. We say these things not to scare you, but to prepare you. You see, I don't know about you, it was only a week ago we were having storms here in Adelaide. And I knew we were having storms because every time I turned the radio on, there was always a warning. Did you notice that? We had wind alert warnings. I'm like, it's a storm. Of course there's going to be some wind. We had weather alert warnings. Yes, there's a storm coming. We had road alert warnings. Because of the wind and the storm, expect trees to come down. Now, when you heard those warnings on the radio, did that scare you? Or did you use that to prepare? You see, we hear that kind of stuff in the natural all the time. And we go, oh, okay, I need to do something about that. The question is, what do we do about it when it's in the spiritual? You see, the warning that was given over the radio was make sure you secure loose items. I heard that. All week, make sure you secure loose items. And you know what? We're in the process at the moment of fixing some stuff in our backyard. We're in a, we've got two dogs that like dragging things out in our backyard. I have some children that like throwing things out into the backyard but not collecting them. And so when I heard those warnings, I need to secure some loose items, I need to go out into my backyard and I just need to collect a few things. Why? Because expectation equals preparation. When we expected the storms to come, we were able to prepare for the storms to come. And it's the same with when we're dealing with persecution and suffering. When we're expecting something to happen, we can prepare for something to happen. And how do we prepare? We prepare in exactly the same way. We secure the loose items. Whereabouts in your life are some things starting to get a little bit loose? Whereabouts in your family are things starting to get a little bit loose? Maybe, just maybe, we're in a good time. We're not experiencing the persecution. And so maybe some of our disciplines, our spiritual disciplines have dropped off a little bit. We've gotten a little bit loose with our Bible reading. We've gotten a little bit loose with our time with God. Come on, it's time to secure those things. Let's, we know that it's coming. We know persecution and suffering is coming. Let's prepare for it. How about your thought life? 
Has your thought life gotten a little bit loose? Are we entertaining some thoughts that normally we wouldn't? You know what? It's time to secure it. Secure it in the good times. Expect persecution to come and make sure we prepare for it. How about our attendance? And I'm not just talking about church. It's sort of, you're already here, right? How about connect group? Have you committed to a connect group, but then at times, oh, the night rolls around and it's just too hard. Do you know what? Expect it to be too hard. Prepare for it. Secure the loose item. Again, we're talking about Christ-centered families. For us, that means youth. For our kids is a non-negotiable. Youth is not a punishment for us. Hey, kids, if you do the wrong thing, you're not going to youth. If my kids are doing the wrong thing, they need youth more than anything else. Prepare for it to happen. You know, she is conference coming up. Oh, really? Do I have to? Well, I can't. Do you have to? No. But why do we put it on? Because we know that persecution is coming. We know suffering is coming. So let's prepare for it and let's get a balance in the bank account that we can draw down on when we need to rather than always trying to catch up. You know what? You might be sitting in your seat going, oh, that's just small stuff. Why are, we, why are we talking about small stuff? Small things unchecked lead to big disasters. A number of years ago, I had a car that was leaking a little bit of coolant. It wasn't a problem. I just kept topping it up. It was good. I kept checking it. But then a family member borrowed the car. And I forgot to tell them to check the coolant. It was only a small leak. But after they finished with the vehicle, the car had blown engine. Because the coolant had leaked to a point where it was no longer effective within the car. Small things left unchecked can lead to big issues. Secure what is loose at the moment. If you're in a good place, that's fantastic. Praise God. Enjoy it. But make preparations so that you've got something to draw down on. If you're not in a great place right now, maybe right now you're experiencing some of that persecution, then endure it. Now, I don't mean to be insensitive here. Sometimes the advice that suffering people have been given hasn't been helpful. For some people who are right in the midst of persecution, right in the midst of suffering, to be told, hey, suck it up, princess, doesn't help. Hey, put your big pants on, doesn't help. And I don't mean to be insensitive when I say endure it. But endure it. My dad used to have this saying, used to tell us all the time, when you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stop. Make sure you get through to the other side. 
You know, I don't know about you, but when it comes to tough times, there's always a battle of wills that happens. Mine versus God's. My will always says, get me out of here. I've had enough. I can't do this. And yet then there's God's will saying, hey, come on. We can do this together. In Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the, at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we endure it? Where do you look? Because the scripture clearly says, look to Jesus. And yet I know that that battle of wills that rages in me during tough times always looks at the problem. It's always me in the natural going, oh my goodness, how am I going to solve this? What am I going to do? Where do I get to? What am I going to do? How do I, who do I need to speak to? And yet scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, we can find the endurance that we need. You know what? Let's look at Jesus just for a moment. You know, the garden of Gethsemane, we just had the Passover meal, what we'd call, now call the Last Supper. Jesus went to the garden to pray with his disciples. He asked his disciples just to stay there and pray. And he went on a little bit further. And it says that Jesus prayed three times. Father, if possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will but yours be done. How do you read those scriptures? Because I think... We often read it exactly what I just said. Father, if, if it's all possible, please take it away. Otherwise, your will be done. But Scripture says that Jesus was in such a state of stress at that point that he was actually sweating droplets of blood. It wasn't just, oh God, take this away from me. This is a cry saying, God, get me out of here. God, I can't do this. God, what do I do? Not my will, but yours be done. You see, I think too often we pray the first part and not the second part. God, take this away from me. But we forget about the your will be done. You see, in that moment, Jesus had to find strength in God the Father. He had to steal himself. He had to set himself. He had to focus on what he was going to do. No, this is what I'm going to walk out. And I think for us in our endurance, we need to steal ourselves. We need to set our eyes and we need to go, nah, this is where we're going. Not my will, but yours be done. You look at what Jesus had to endure. He was arrested straight after that. Four trials before different ruling authorities. Whipped, beaten, crucified, died. Why? 
the joy set before him. It's for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. What was that joy? You. You're that joy. Me, I'm that joy. And as we build Christ-centered homes, for the joy set before us, we can endure. And yet it goes so much more beyond that. We can finish strong. You see, it's not just about enduring and falling over the finish line. Again, my dad used to have a saying that they're holding on for grim life. They're so focused on the problem. They're so focused on enduring that they're just holding on for grim life. And what do they have? A grim life. You see, it's not what Jesus is actually calling us to. You see, we can endure, but we can endure with the right attitude. When we keep Christ at the centre of our homes, we're going to be able to endure with grace. We can stand without compromise. We can pray for our persecutors. We can put revenge to one side. Anyone like me? There's there's a justice streak in me. There's a vengeance streak in me that I can put to one side when I keep Christ at the centre of my life. We can rejoice even in the midst of our sufferings. And beyond that, we can use our experiences to help and to comfort others as they're going through similar things. So yes, endure it. But we need to move beyond endurance. We need to embrace it. Wow, this is tough. Anyone want to embrace some persecution right now? Don't be stupid, Ashley. No one wants to be persecuted. So what do we really mean when we say that we can embrace it? Have a look at Romans 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Suffering and persecution is the first step of a process. What can we embrace? Embrace the process. Suffering and persecution, first step, leads to perseverance. Do you know that perseverance only ever comes out in tough times? You don't have to persevere in the easy times, right? When everything is skittles and rainbows, as they say, when everything is going to the coffee shops and having coffee and hanging out with people, that's, that's not perseverance. Perseverance comes out when we're in a tough time. And what does that perseverance lead to? It leads to character. Oh, if there's anything that this world needs more of is character from people in the church. People who have been with Jesus, who have walked through some tough times and are still able to stand and smile and say, Hey, integrity, honesty. You know, 
I am amazed when I look at Jesus the man and the character of the man of Jesus. Jesus was incredibly loving, both to God and to people. And yet he never let his love for people detract from his love of God. You know, Jesus was committed and compassionate. He knew why he came to earth to bring the kingdom of heaven. And yet within that commitment, he still saw the individuals and had compassion on them. Jesus was both holy and humble. Jesus was perfect in every way. Holy, without sin, without spot, without blemish. And yet didn't use that to lord it over us. But he stepped down into the earth so that he could express, like humbled himself so that we could come on the journey as well. You know how we get that kind of character? Through perseverance. Where do we need to get the perseverance from? The first step, suffering and persecution. You know, personally, I know it's hard. Personally, it's a good trade. If you want to trade hardships for godly character, it's worth it every time. You see, persecution isn't punishment. Persecution is a testing ground. We get to find out what's really inside of us and we get to use it to grow for our benefit. We can truly embrace it when we see the bigger picture. What's forming inside of me, what God is doing inside of me is getting larger as I face what's coming at me from the outside. In conclusion today and as the rest of the band comes, I don't know of anyone who wants to be persecuted. No one is standing around saying, hey, pick me for persecution. And I know that even personally, I find it difficult to consider myself blessed when persecution comes. And yet, if we're going to build Christ-centered homes, we know that persecution and suffering are coming. So let's use the time to prepare well. When it comes, let's make sure that we endure and let's see the bigger picture. Let's embrace the process when it comes so that Christ is formed in us. Because then, as Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. Church, can I just pray for us today? Father, if we're really honest, we don't like persecution. We don't like suffering. If we're really honest, we don't, we just don't want to have to think about it if we can get away with it. And yet, Father, as we've talked this morning, we know that you use persecution to grow us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.